Welcome to today's episode of the Doing Good Podcast. Today we're talking with Michael, whose sense of adventure, fear of nothing, and passion for others have led to a life of service. He works in the public sector, serves in the National Guard, volunteers hands-on and waist-deep with several water-related nonprofits in the southeastern United States. He also serves by speaking publicly on their behalf as opportunities arise when back on land. He answers the call to volunteer and believes you can too. My name is Michael Freeman. I'm here in Auburn, Alabama. I work at Auburn University as an environmental health and safety specialist in erosion control and sediment control, stormwater management, also in uh, regulated materials management, such as hazardous waste. Prior to that, I've been volunteering. It's interesting how this all came about because I've, I've been a volunteer since 1989 when I was 17 years old, I guess. Pretty much most of my adult life, I have volunteered in some form or fashion. Uh, I was paid to volunteer once when I was in the Army, but <laughs> it's still an all-volunteer force. So, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So for those who might think of it all as the same thing, what do you consider the main differences between working in the public sector and giving that way versus volunteering? Now, a lot of times when you're working, you end up volunteering time that you're not paid for to assist others in doing some task or an organization that may be tied to what you're working with. You find yourself becoming interested in, in some of those organizations. On your weekends, you may be helping them and just volunteering. So they end up interlinking a lot of times. But the big difference is obviously one is your career, that's your job, similar to volunteerism, but you're basically giving up your time separate away from work. And you do it because you want to do it. So um, it kind of pivots off from what you would be doing if you were just working for a public sector job. So when you're volunteering for a nonprofit, what kinds of activities do you do? I've served on boards. I've been officers on board for those organizations. I'll go down and do hands-on, you know, litter cleanups, water testing. They call me sometimes if there's a spill that they don't have a lot of knowledge about because of my background. They'll call me up and I'll try to provide them with some quick reference emergency response or, or how they may want to try to mitigate that, who they need to call in their local areas. My background's also in the medical field. I was, I'm a paramedic. So, you know, we all have different things that we can bring to the table. And it's just finding a way to plug and play what that is that you bring. And if you have some background or knowledge, then that can be a, a great benefit. You're exactly right. Now, you mentioned that you have been volunteering since 1989. Mm-hmm. What on earth keeps you coming back for more this many years later? Um, I was drawn into the idea of providing help to others at a young age. For some reason, I've been called to always provide something of me and not really care if I get something back in return because I'm not looking for fanfare. Now, you know, the reason I'm doing this is because I'm hopeful that it can encourage other people to do the same thing and also to shed some light on some of the organizations I feel strongly about. So what are the names of the nonprofits where you also volunteer? So the Alabama Rivers Alliance, which is a part of the Riverkeeper or Waterkeeper Network. I've served on their board and I've done a lot of different things for them. The Coosa Riverkeeper, I'm on their advisory board. 
And I'm very supportive of the work that those folks do. They just, they do fabulous work on the Coosa River and on other parts of the state, but they're just really good at what they do. And it's amazing that some of the work they've accomplished. And of course, Mobile Baykeeper, I've been providing time and knowledge with them probably since 2012. Uh, was really, I got to be good friends with the former director there. And in the current director, we've known each other for quite some time. He actually went to school here at Auburn. So all these relationships you build, a lot of times you just connect with them and run with them. That's true. There's so much does come down to relationships. So speaking of, have you found that volunteering has introduced relationships to you? And what has that looked like in your experience? Absolutely. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people that I wouldn't know at all or have any kind of networking relationship or personal relationship with if I had not been volunteering with these groups, meeting them, uh, getting to know them, finding out what they do. Is there any way I can support their efforts, vice versa? When we have hurricanes come through because of my background in, in search and rescue and EMS and all that, I was also in the Coast Guard Auxiliary and the Reserve in the past, and I worked with Hurricane Katrina. And so that experience has led me to be able to provide support when because we, we have quite a few hurricanes that come through this part of the country. And uh, Michael was devastating, and it affected a part of the panhandle of Florida that I spent a lot of time in. And I also have provided support with the Apalachicola Riverkeeper in the past. And so it kind of ran right through those areas. And, you know, I think I made four truckload runs down there. And then I also volunteer with, uh, with a group in Florida, Volunteer Florida, that uh, helped provide support to the linemen that were down there resupplying electrical lines to a lot of the outlying areas and in around Panama City that was heavily affected by Michael. So that's just an example. Um, if I can help and I got time to do it, I'm going to do it. You have such a driving force behind you. I love it. How have these relationships impacted you in your life outside of volunteering? Or have they? Well, they do impact you positively and negatively. If, and I say negatively only if something is impacting them um, or those communities. Um, you know, I was talking about Michael. We were cutting people out of houses because they couldn't get out. Then you build a relationship with those folks, right? And you keep up with them over time because you want to know how they're doing after the fact. So when you do this, are you tied to certain nonprofits? In that particular situation, I didn't have any connection, but I created one. Delayed the groundwork before I even left here because I wasn't going to go blind. I didn't want to also didn't want to make it worse because the last thing they needed was a bunch of people racing in good hearted people. But if you don't have a mission and objectives to meet, it can be chaotic. So I made sure that I always make sure that's not the case. So I called down, made contacts with city administration. I talked to the mayor, actually. And then I got in contact with a church that was in the heart of Panama City that was directly affected. Those two contacts kind of was the groundwork. But then I was connected with Volunteer Florida. And I'm still a part of that group now. And when they have issues in that region of the state, I get requested if I can come and provide support. So to pivot, I've worked with a lot of nonprofits. I continue to do so. In Alabama, it started with the Southeastern Raptor Center, uh, which is located here at Auburn University. And so because of my medical background, I've volunteered to go over and uh, work with 
injured and diseased eagles, hawks, owls, because I had the ability to draw antibiotics and meds and I could do all these things that a lot of the student workers couldn't do or had not learned yet. That sounds a little wild and just makes me think of all the skills that different people have, what capacity they have to benefit other nonprofits, whether it's a skill like giving medicine to a bird or to benefit, I'll say, the finances of agencies. It doesn't matter. It could be any type of skill, but everybody's got something to give. And two, I think it's important that not everybody can take off one, two, three days from work to head out to volunteer. So it's sometimes just a matter of looking at the time that they have available to them and be able to match their skill sets with the different agencies or causes they might be interested in. Absolutely. And some people, you know, I hear someone say, well, I'm not really sure what to do. First thing I ask them is, so what is your background? And even if it's not much academically or career-wise, I say, what about yourself? I mean, there's things that you could give up of yourself that's manpower-driven that cannot be provided without that support. So that is huge because we can all stand behind desks and get in groups and come up with these things, but if you don't have people to execute it, it's worthless. So it's all part of a big circle of people that can provide different things to get the job done. That's incredible. I understand that you are a volunteer with Mobile Baykeepers. What do you do with them in particular? My main thing for them is, and it it started out this way, I just answered a call out for volunteers to come down and support a four-day event that's called the Alabama Deep Sea Fishing Rodeo. So they set up a table. You have people from all over South Alabama, West Florida, and then parts of Mississippi. And we interact with these folks and talk to them about how, how Mobile Baykeeper uh, impacts their communities, you know, because it's all about water quality, you know, litter cleanups, and there's invasive species removal. You've got uh, sewer overflows, bacterial water monitoring around the bay so that people know where, where they can and shouldn't go swimming and those kind of things. So um, we explain all that. Um, but I answered the call to go and volunteer because I was a part of Alabama Water Watch already. I'm a uh, volunteer water monitor and an instructor. And so I was bringing that with me down there. And because I understood what they were doing, it didn't take very much for me to insert myself into what they do and act on their behalf. And so that's my in-person contribution to them. But from afar, I'm on the advisory committee role for them too, because they'll call sometimes because something's been released into the bay or up in one of the tributaries. They don't know what kind of effect it could have. So I provide them with that information that, so that they can best react to it. Right. And, and that makes a huge difference for mobile bay keepers' decisions and actions that they take in the area and the impact that it can have. So I, I want to just encourage people to realize what they have to give. That's right. There's a place for you all over the country if you have a passion for water quality. I mean, one thing I haven't mentioned because it hadn't come in conversations, I grew up around Lake Hartwell in the Savannah River. We used to spend a lot of time up in North Carolina as well on the Davidson River and Pisgah Forest. And I'm a huge angler. I fish a lot. And so all that stuff combined has built the love for water that I have. That's great. 
So what would you suggest to someone who's interested in volunteering but doesn't quite know how to take those initial steps? What do you suggest they do? Take the first step. Open yourself up. Don't be afraid. Don't let anything hold you back. I mean, if you're really interested in trying to get involved in, in, in volunteering somewhere, um, find either a passion or take a niche that you have and bring it to the table. And a lot of times these organizations will help you find something that fits what you can do. They'll train you. They'll make it work for you. And um, you'll get a lot out of it. Um, anytime you can help other people or organizations that, that help better the communities they're in, there's nothing negative about that ever. For me, there's no better way to spend your time than providing positive impacts for others in your community or in your state, local region, whatever. It's all interconnected. That's another thing great about water is it's truly interconnected from the first drop that comes out of the sky and hits and starts flowing downhill from the mountains to the, to the ocean and beyond. It's all interconnected. Would you share a story or two about your volunteering, maybe people you served or experiences that you had, just to share some insight that you gained from it? Sure. So um, first story I'll tell you is a local one uh, here in the Auburn Opelika area, which is positioned in east central Alabama. It's, we're about 35, 38 miles from the Georgia line here. We had a company was trying to build a rock quarry uh, in an area that would negatively affect a lot of households um, or, and potentially um, pollute the water. And so I was fortunate to see this early on because of my job. And so a permit came up and I noticed I, I took a look at it and I was like, wait a minute, that's just right here. <laughs> you know, they're wanting to put a rock quarry over here in an area and I started looking at the maps and looking at the geological information. I was like, wait a minute, that's not a good thing. So um, I kind of was in the early phases of that because of my job, but then the volunteer part of it was I started volunteering my time after work to get with some groups in the local community because it was going to negatively affect uh, their main drinking water source. And so through that and through various meetings and, and speaking on behalf of, Alabama Rivers Alliance and Water Watch, <laughs> those organizations that I support and, are, and am a part of, um, I was able to contribute in a way that advanced the ball down the road enough to where we were able to stop it, and which is rare because there's very little legal stature to stop quarries in this country. Uh, mineral rights are heavily in favor of those companies. And so, um, we overwhelmed the company with so much negativity from the community. At the same time, the, the city got with the county and expanded their city limits to cover this area, and they put a moratorium on it, and that stopped it. And those things don't happen often. It's extremely rare, at least in Alabama, and, I, and my understanding around the country, it is very hard to stop quarries from getting going. Now, they're trying to do it in another place that's more rural, and we're, we're still working on that, but um, we definitely got it away from that main drinking water source, and we got some heavy hitters involved to thwart that off, and that was a huge success. That's amazing. You've talked a bit about your volunteer efforts, I'll say, on the water, in the water, with people, hands-on. 
Do you ever get to speak or teach on behalf of these organizations? And what does that look like? Uh, I do speak in engagements. Of course, COVID has made that a lot more impersonal. <laughs> I still do it. It's Zoom now. Um, but an example of that would be I, I've been working on some my own research and, and whatnot of how PFAS is negatively or could be impacting our waterways. So PFAS is in pretty much every waterway in the country um, because of what it was used for, but its main purpose originally was in uh, firefighting phones. I was uh, doing a lot of research on it. Uh, I was noticing that testing was being done by the EPA on some of our waterways along the Coosa River, the Tennessee River, and down in Mobile Bay area. So I started putting together my own presentation based off of that because most people in Alabama had no clue what this was. They call it the emerging contaminant, but it's not emerging. It's, it's here. It's been here for a while. But I had the Sierra Clubs reaching out to me to come speak at engagements. I did uh, a speaking engagement down in Mobile County. I've done it uh, here on campus for another group after hours. I've done them North Alabama, just informing people about what could potentially be going on in our water. You can't see it, taste it, but uh, until the last probably six, seven years, most people didn't even know it, but uh, that's changed. The media has pushed a lot of good information out. There's been some lawsuits and ongoing litigation, and so uh, I've done quite a few speaking engagements on PFAS. <laughs> that's great. That's a big help, and I want to point out, too, that speaking on behalf of a nonprofit as a volunteer is so different than speaking on behalf of work. So I think that might be news to some people. Yeah, so some employers are not very supportive of speaking to organizations if it could be impacting them. Luckily, it doesn't impact Auburn University, so it's a part of our mission, extension research. I'm fortunate. Some places may not be so kind, um, so you have to make sure that when you do speak, you're not putting yourself in an adverse situation. Um, if you do speak, make sure that, that you're honest, but you may have to explain it in a way that's not detrimental to the employer. But a lot of that's going to be the relationship you have with your employer, too. Uh, some places aren't, they don't mind. You know, it's your personal time. You're speaking on behalf of organization A or B, and there's no conflict because you're not there as a part of, you know, what company. The thing that I find interesting is some companies care, some don't, some industries care, and some don't. It's just interesting to me, and I think the most beneficial thing for each person is to be sure to check with that said nonprofit they're representing at the time and be sure that the presentation follows their mission and you have permission to speak on their behalf. You know, it's not an opportunity to, to make an ad for the employer. And it's not even about you as a person. It's about the cause. That's right. Like you said, uh, a lot of times it depends on how the company's structured and who's the who makes up the board. That's my experience. There's more companies out there that's willing to, to allow you to do things like that. And it's not as big an issue. But I'll say this. A good organization or nonprofit is going to ask you for that presentation and, and want to know what it's about before you even get to that day or that moment. But if they don't, then you should always send it to them and say, hey, check this out. 
make sure that it goes with what your mission is. And you always have to be careful because some some nonprofits may be supported by a company or whatever, and that could come back on them negatively. And you didn't intend that to happen, but it does. You do have to do some, you know, just a little bit of investigative work there, uh, making sure that everybody's safe. Right. Communication is key. And, you know, let the agency direct it and spearhead it, fulfill their mission. Well, you are just an incredible source of information, of inspiration, of experience. Are there any final thoughts you have or maybe a message that you want to get across before we end today? I would tell people, do not try to compare yourself to others. Everybody's life experience is different. Always be open-minded. Always know that you have something to give. And just because you may not have done you know, all these different things that provide you with some expertise doesn't mean that you can't train yourself, reach out, look for something that can add to your portfolio, so to speak. Don't be afraid to help anybody. I'll I'll use this example. When I teach classes here on campus, a lot of the training is focused on um, emergency management. You know, a natural disaster struck the campus and we need people There's never going to be enough resources for some type of major event, at least initially. And so um, I always tell them, look, it's not about what you know or don't know. It's about just the fact that you're willing to do something. It can go a long ways. Uh, You don't realize how sometimes little things are a part of something so much bigger and they make a bigger difference than you may accept to yourself. I've worked in every form of public safety. I've been a law enforcement officer. I've been a firefighter. I've been a medic. I've been in the military, both the Army and the Coast Guard. One thing that I will add, when veterans come out of service, of active duty in particular, we're kind of lost. We're used to that mission and being driven by that mission. It takes a while to reinsert ourselves into the civilian world. So one of the things initially I did was I just tried to learn everything I possibly could to a point to where I have this that I can reach back to and use it. Um, not everybody's going to be in that position. So don't, don't think you have to be that way. Maybe you have one really good thing that you can do. That could be huge for somebody, for a food bank, you name it. I mean, there's so many opportunities. Volunteerism is down in this country. Uh, volunteer fire departments, a lot of them are shuttering. They can't find people to come in and fight fires anymore. Uh, There was this me mentality that I think is negatively impacting the country now of where you don't think you should do something unless you're getting some type of financial reward for it. If you feel like you can do something for somebody and you want to, do it. Don't be afraid. Don't let anything hold you back that is not real. That is not physically real because it it happens. A lot of people, they'll just be real hesitant to do it because like, I don't think I can fit in. I, I don't think I can really help them. Probably 99% of the time, that's not the case. You just don't know it. I can't imagine ending on a better note than that. That is so true. Don't let anything hold you back from it. I thank you so much for sharing yourself, sharing your time and your passion with us today. I really appreciate it. And it's a joy hearing you share. And also, thank you for your service throughout your life. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Doing Good is a 501c3 nonprofit and is run 100% by volunteers. So yes, we are volunteers 
highlighting volunteers to celebrate those who do good. Thank you for listening to the Doing Good Podcast.